Welcome to Freya's Fairy Tales. We believe fairy tales are both stories we enjoyed as children and something that we can achieve ourselves. Each week, we will talk to authors about their favorite fairy tales when they were kids, and their adventure to holding their very own fairy tale in their hands. At the end of each episode, we will finish off with a fairy tale or short story read as close to the original author's version as possible. I am your host, Freya Victoria. I'm an audiobook narrator that loves reading fairy tales, novels, and bringing stories to life through narration. I'm also fascinated by talking to authors and learning about their why and how for creating their stories. We've included all of the links for today's author and our show in the show notes. Be sure to check out our website and sign up for our newsletter for the latest on the podcast. Today is part one of two, where we are talking to Melinda Cusera about her novels. Over the next two weeks, you will hear about making up stories for her siblings, when characters take over your books, winging it to get your first book out there, book promotion struggles, what to do when unexpected storylines pop up, and her favorite advice to not look at everyone around you as competition. Robin of Larkspur Trilogy When her daughter disappears without a trace, Robin embarks on a perilous quest to find her that tests her courage and determination in Robin of Larkspur books 1-3. to three. Join Robin on three thrilling adventures and risk it all to find her daughter. In Hunter's Night, Robin treks through a treacherous winter wonderland filled with wolves, shapeshifters, and sentient trees to seek help from the rangers of Mount Eredren. En route, she discovers a strange power that might help her if she could figure out how to keep it from imprisoning her. In Rogue Knight, Robin discovers the rangers have a deadly secret they will kill to protect. Robin must face a powerful golem and win the help of the mage bound to it. But the new magic she found complicates things, and that help may cost more than she can pay. In Rogue Ranger, Robin treks back into the enchanted forest with a powerful mage and his enigmatic companion as her guide and trackers. But one of her allies is not who they seem. Encounters with shapeshifters, fallen gods, overzealous guardians, and strange magic spells threaten to turn the trio against each other. Will their alliance last long enough for Robin to find her daughter? Well, the <laughs> podcast is Freya's Fairy Tales. And that is fairy tales in two ways. Fairy tales are something that we watched or read or had read to us as kids. Also, the journey for you to spend weeks, months, years working on your, you've done a whole lot of books, to get to hold those in your hands is a fairy tale for you. So the first question I always start off with is, what was your favorite fairy tale or short story when you were a kid? And did your favorite change as you got older? Okay, my favorite was The Little Mermaid. The original cartoon version came out in 1989, and I was nine years old. We went to see it for my mom's birthday, mm -hmm. and it. I think what also made it special was, like, my aunts and my cousins came up. So mm. it was, like, it was like nine people in a row. <laughs> It's like my poor dad was like, just want to eat the popcorn. And I was like, you know, my I was nine. My sister's four years younger than me. She passed away in 2014. But at the time, she was four. My twin cousins are also four years young. I'm sorry, she was five. My twin cousins are also four years younger than me. They were five. So there's three screaming five-year-olds. Oh, no. <laughs> my brother is two years younger than me, so he was seven. And he's just like, oh, God. 
another <laughs> Disney movie. <laughs> What's going on? Why do I get dragged to all this girl stuff? Yeah, and my mom is like, I says, this is this is what I chose to celebrate my birthday. I'm regretting my life choices. <laughs> we, we went out to dinner and stuff. I don't remember who it was before. I think we went out to dinner after the movie because the movie, we probably went to see the matinee. <laughs> mm. I can't imagine we went in the evening. <laughs> yeah, typically with parents kids. with kids don't do <laughs> nighttime movies. Especially when you have four adults and five children <laughs> under the age of 10. I don't think you would yeah. do that. <laughs> so, so did your favorite change as you got older or is it still Little Mermaid? I will always have a fondness for Little Mermaid, but I did change. It did change a bit when Aladdin came out in the 90s, mm. the cartoon, because mm-hmm. there was the first time that like a Disney princess had brown hair, had, like dark hair, like her hair mm-hmm. is black. My hair is lighter now, but it used to be really, it, it was very dark brown, almost black. And mm-hmm. she did not have blue eyes. Her eyes were brown like mine. <laughs> and she had that sort of Mediterranean coloring, mm-hmm. um, which I, I was, this was, there was finally a Disney princess. I mean, I'm not skinny or anything like she is, but like who looked kind of like me. And I was mm-hmm. like, so I got all the dolls and everything. And like, I was all about that. And she was feisty. And like, so I, I, I st- will always love the Little Mermaid because, you know that will always be close to my heart because I also feel like the little memory is kind of an analog for like us women because we're always trying to like she had to get out of the ocean and get legs to go on land and go chase mm-hmm. her dreams we're always trying to break through that glass ceiling it still exists like there mm-hmm. is still I work in corporate America and there is very much still a glass ceiling mm-hmm. there is a point at which you just cannot advance if you are not a man it it's still it sucks but it's it's reality, and I've come across it quite a bit in the 20 years that I've been working in corporate America. Mm-hmm. So I still, it still resonates with me today. Like, I'm, I'm sure that Disney was not intending to put that in there and hands Christian Anderson, which I did eventually, like, read his version. It was so sad. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he died. But, like, in a way, like, it, it make, the ending of that one makes more sense than the ending of the Disney one, even though it's super sad. Um, yeah. Yeah, that I I did that on the podcast fairly early on, and I was like, "This is how this ends." <laughs> oh, I was hor- We got we there was like an animated version they did, and we found it at like the library, and we're all excited. Like my mom had no idea it was, so she's like, <laughs> "It was very pretty," and she's like, "I'm gonna watch this with you girls," and we're watching it, and and at some point she realized this was not gonna end well, and she's like, <laughs> "Had to make that decision. Do I let the, my daughters keep watching this?" Yeah. And she did end up letting us watch it. And it was so sad. I remember crying over it, you know, and we had a whole long talk about it. I remember everything that we said, but um, at least it was a teachable moment in it. Hey, that's good. So at what age did you start writing anything? Short stories, actual full-length novels, whatever you started writing? So um, I started writing when I was really little. Because like, I had two younger siblings and mm-hmm. you know as being the oldest child when you have like younger siblings your parents kind of lean on you to entertain them so mm-hmm. like and I used to just make up stories for them and then like uh and then my sister's like you're changing it that's not how you told it last time and I, was like, well, I, remember, <laughs> I, I remember it being this way and she's like you need to write this down so it doesn't keep changing on me <laughs> So, I told this story before. I don't remember that. No, I was telling the same story over and over again. At least I thought I was telling it the same way every time, but it was changing. And I didn't realize because I was so, because it wasn't just like 
you know, monotone. No, I was all like animated <laughs> and like there was like stuffed animals and like visuals and we were drawing <laughs> things on the walls. I mean, there, it was a full production that, oh, a, you know, a young child was capable of putting on. <laughs> and, um, at one point, I built a whole thing with blocks. There was castles. Like, oh, this gosh. was a whole production. <laughs> you know? I, I Real, I was so caught up in it. I didn't realize I was changing the story every time I told it. <laughs> so she's like, you need to write it down so it doesn't change. So did you write it down? Yeah, I did. I had horrible penmanship, though. So, like, I... I um Wrote it I down, but then couldn't to, read it? Well, I struggled <laughs> to write more than, like, a few hundred words because, like, mm -hmm. writing was really hard for me. And I think it's because uh, I found out, like, when I was in my 20s, and I'm actually ambidextrous... <laughs> And I think I was, I think that like, if in school, they weren't like forcing you to always use like the right hand or whatever. Like, I think I might've had an easier time writing if they hadn't like forced that, mm. if they kind of, because the pencil never felt comfortable in my right hand. So you're probably should have been left-handed, but they forced Possibly. the right hand. My brother's left-handed, but I could mm. actually make words that were, if you squint hard enough at them, you could kind of tell what they were. Mm -hmm. um, it was really the bane of all my elementary school penmanship teachers. <laughs> I could not. But as soon as like computers came out, like I don't remember exactly when that was. And I first got a chance, like I think it was in like eighth grade or something. It was like, forget writing with pen and paper. Everything is going to be typewritten because then I can read what I have written. Yes. Yes. So I have notebooks of stuff that I wrote, but I can't read any of it. It's completely illegible. <laughs> <laughs> it's also written in like you know like neon colors which doesn't help so um, so did you continue to write up until you published your first book or did you kind of like set it aside and come back to it at some point oh no I continued to write as soon as we could afford a computer I like begged my parents to get one but we did we got this other like electronic typewriter thing which I don't recommend zero stars <laughs> not don't this is I I like to permanently block it out of memory. It was not a good thing. It did not work well. It did not save well. It and I I still so I did I wrote like a, a, we all have that first novel that we write. No one's ever read this. Well, actually, my sister has read some of it because I mean, wh what else do younger sisters do <laughs> except want to like, what are you doing? <laughs> oh, you wrote some. I want to read this. Get off the chair. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So I did write. Uh, that first book all the way through college. Uh, and then I like, eventually I'm going to come back and like edit it and actually put it out because mm -hmm. it is, it's like, it is so much a mismatch of everything I love from everything else I've read or watched. I mean, it is like, if like, um, if you took like um, Star Wars and like, uh, what's her name? Mercedes Lackey's Valdemar series and Lord of the Rings and stuck them in a blender <laughs> and added some <laughs> other stuff that like, 13, 14, 15, 19, 20 year old me was reading or watching. Right. <laughs> and, like, there's a lot of really fun things in there, but like, it like clearly needs like severe editing. <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah, I did. And then I started working on another, what became the first book that I published. Um, mm -hmm. But I wasn't writing it to publish. It was just writing because I like to write it. The stories were there. The characters would like drive me nuts. And, mm -hmm. you know, they're always whispering in the background. And um, they were more interesting than schoolwork or Isn't it meetings. interesting? <laughs> so normal people have voices in their head and they get committed and medicated for it. Authors have voices in their head and it's totally okay. Of course. 
<laughs> we get to we can totally hallucinate you know scenes from our books and that's totally fine as long as we put it down and put it out there and sell it <laughs> i think because we can monetize the voices in our heads that's why it's okay and and you know there there's only a small niche of people that's voices get incredibly violent so <laughs> Yeah, mine just demand more page time. Like, go write yeah. my book. You know, they're they're not telling me to to go do anything dangerous. Yeah, my um, so my book is currently with Arc Readers right now. Um, and it's very very slow burn. And I've had people be like, like last three chapters before anything spicy happens, beyond like you know hand rubbing cheek life. kind of stuff. And they're like why is it such a slow burn? And I'm like, well, it was supposed to happen earlier. And then the male main character was like, no, we have to be married first. And that took over the book. So <laughs> I mean, and, and like, that's life. Like some relationships are super slow, you know? Mm -hmm. So you did all of this writing on this weird typewriter thing. When did you start the first book that you actually published? And how long did it take you to write the first draft of it? Um, I started like somewhere after college, like um, somewhere after I say actually somewhere somewhere after grad school, in, in between like getting like the first good job, I started. But like I went through, I had one main character, and then it just didn't work with them. And then I switched it to this other character who just kind of walked into the scene and took over the book. And I was like, okay, then you're now the main character. <laughs> you're giving main character energy. We should just hand the book over to you and see what you want to do with it because mm -hmm. nobody's listening to me. There's an outline, but no one's following it. <laughs> um, and I don't know why I outlined it. They, they don't. I've written, uh, I'm in the middle of writing my 23rd book and they still, I write the outline and they still completely disregard it <laughs> like, this is more like guidelines not actual things we need to do but yeah I don't I don't know exactly my sister passed away in 2014 and that's when I really seriously like before she passed away she asked me to publish all the stories I've been writing like and I have like at that point I had like 50 unfinished stories like oh, on my like google drive account mm -hmm. and um and I was and like I never thought of like actually publishing any of it like I was just writing because I like to write mm -hmm. and um and then uh so we get, the grieving process took a bit and then I um well the grief took a long time I'm only like finally starting to come out of that um and this the next year is a 10-year anniversary of her passing but um I did two years after she passed away, uh, almost two years later, I did publish that first book and it was Curse Breaker Enchanted. And um, what a wild ride that was. Um, that has led me to where I am now. <laughs> I don't know if that so was a good you, <laughs> So for your first one, did you self-publish it or did you query mm -hmm. it or what did you attempt to do for it? <laughs> I self-published it. I work for I work in traditional publishing and okay. um everything I've seen in it like just convinced me I wanted no part of it. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. If you if you get a job in publishing, you may not ever want to publish traditionally if you see what so, goes on behind the scenes. For me, I was like, so I've talked to, I've had this podcast going for about a year and a half now, and I've talked to self-published, I've talked to small published, I've talked to like big five published authors, like all across the board I've talked to. And for the most part, the only thing that I know I have no interest in doing 
is spending all the time querying something when I could have self-published it and be earning the money now instead of waiting multiple years and then giving up a whole lot of the royalties. So I'm like, I tell my husband all the time, I'm like, you know, everyone has a price. If someone wanted to pick up my series and was going to pay me a ridiculous amount of money for it, of course I'm going to say yes. <laughs> but, oh, yeah. Yeah. Same. but I'm like, in the meantime, I have no desire to go through the querying process. And I know you're not really supposed to query with a book that's already out. So I'm like, no, we'll we'll take the self-published route <clears throat> until or unless, you know, and I have my editor tells me, She's told me several times, um, don't take a contract unless it's a big five publisher. <laughs> so I'm like, hey, um, ridiculous amounts of money can come from small publishers, too. But <laughs> I'm like, no, um, no desire to spend any time being demeaned in the querying process. No, thanks. <laughs> no. And and that was. Yeah. And yeah, no, definitely not. And especially after seeing like the marketing side, like if you're a new author who gets picked up by traditional publishing you are on your own for marketing mm -hmm. <laughs> the money and the attention goes to the brandon sanderson's and the lee child's and you know to the big names that are gonna that they're gonna get a return on their investment for well and that's where if you much for you you know say someone's you know say any publisher picks you up for seven figures they're gonna put advertising dollars behind you because they got to yes. make that money back if you're getting you know less than a six-figure advance eh, they'll just write it off on their taxes like there's mm -hmm. no incentive for them to put advertising dollars behind you at that point so i'm like i would rather listen to like Jason Duro on TikTok, who says all the time that, like, he has no interest in handing his book over, that he's self-published. But then you look at there's other authors on there, like A.K. Mulford, who got picked up on a seven-figure book deal with Harper Voyager, or um, Tor, who just picked up, I can't remember her name right now. I don't remember what it is she calls herself. I can't think of her name. She writes the lesbian cozy tea fantasy books. Um I don't know what they heard of these I can't. books. <laughs> I can't. Treason and Tea. Uh, can't spell treason without tea is the name of her book. I can't I can't remember what her name is. Um, but I mean, there's authors on TikTok that you see that will, you know, suddenly get picked up by a publisher on these ridiculous deals. And you're like, good for you that you like, but, you know, but went wait, out there wait. and did it. But wait, they're <laughs> getting picked up because they have a big following on TikTok. Yep. And the publisher is expecting them to leverage that to sell books because once you get picked up by a traditional publisher, they are making most of the profit. You're only getting mm -hmm. a small bit and uh, you have to. So when you get an advance, you have to pay back that advance before you get any more money. Right. Right. So if your book doesn't earn out, you don't get any more money. <laughs> and you right. are locked in most contracts. You're locked in that you have to give them first write a refusal on your next book that you write. And if they want it, you know, yeah, you go, you're kind of stuck. <laughs> I mean, I, I wouldn't like if a traditional publisher approached me and wanted to do like an audio version or print or like something like they're really good at print. I'm not really good at print. <laughs> I'm, I'm really good at ebooks. Um, so like I would be totally interested. Like I, I'm I also am a humongous audiobook fan, but I'm not good at audiobook. Like audiobooks are very expensive to create and mm -hmm. um Marketing them is a mystery to me. <laughs> Don't now, have a clue I just, how you do that. I just did a video. I think I did a video. I may have deleted the video. I don't know. I just had an audiobook yesterday 
that I did for royalty share with the author and it hit number one in its genre. The audiobook hit number one in its genre yesterday. So like (laughs) there's, you know, authors all the time that talk about how expensive it is, but I'm like, there are other options out there that aren't as expensive, but most narrators, if you're, say you put your book out there and you do absolutely no advertising for it ever, a lot of narrators aren't going to take that as a royalty share because you're not going to sell any copies if you're not ever talking about right. it. Right. I mean, I would talk about it and put it in yeah. my newsletter and talk about it on my podcast. But, like, I spoke to ACX and, like, I wouldn't be able to put any, like, excerpts from it on the podcast to try and get people. I'd have to remove all the the uh, episodes where I read excerpts from it. And, like, those episodes get a ton of listens and are what gets people to listen to other episodes. Mm-hmm. So, like... I'm like, I just felt like it would be like doing the royalty share would cut off me at the knees. And like the avenue that I have to reach people who are interested in my books and audio, I wouldn't mm-hmm. be able to reach them. And so, 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 I, was, so I was left with it. the option of that I'd have to do it completely uh, outside of royalty share so that I have control and can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's too expensive for me. <laughs> I feel like there's a... I don't I remember love which. I, I desperately just want through. a human read audiobook. <laughs> I just read through the ACX. So they have two different sets of contracts. There's the ACX contract with you um, put it up for royalty share and a narrator does it and like all of that. And then there's the contract that you sign if you like paid for it outside of ACX and you're just uploading the files mm-hmm. there. Um, and I think one of them, I don't remember which one, allows for the author to do author read sections, but I don't remember which contract it is. <laughs> it's it's not royalty share because I, I had a long uh, uh, chat back and forth through the emails okay. with ACX to try it because but I wanted to understand because everybody's like, mm-hmm. oh, you should, do royalty share, you should do royalty share. And I get like people ask me on my newsletter, like, when is it going to be an audio? Because they know I'm a huge audiobook fan. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, so I was like, okay, I keep getting hammered with this question. Let me find out, you know, what I can do. And it, the royalty share one is the one that is super limited. It, every mm-hmm. you cannot do anything outside of the audio platform, audio, audible platform. Nothing can be outside of it. Um, yeah, I think technically the only thing that can be is like the five minute sample. All right, so you. Put your first book out there. Did you go through like beta readers or arc readers or editors or anything for the first book you did? I didn't know about arc readers or anything. I was not part of any sort of author community. Like I was posting it on my blog and uh, I was doing a lot of like short fiction and stuff on there too. And mm-hmm. people were like, you know, we're going to be able to buy the book. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I put together a... Um, I put together some of the, like, before I published the first book, like, I took some of the, uh, I did this whole holiday thing that was, like, I don't know, Google must have picked it up or something because, like, it was, I was getting, like, a lot more traffic than somebody who was, who had no idea how to promote anything you should be getting, especially at a time when I had no newsletter or anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't know that that was a thing that I should have at that point. Mm-hmm. So, um I took all those holidays, I took the holiday story and I put it together into a book and I just put it on Amazon KDP just to like figure out like, how does one publish? What is it? How do you put together an ebook? Like just to practice. Right. Like not expecting that anybody would buy it. 
And um, like, how do you create a cover? Like, where do you get covers from? Do they rain from the sky? Do you wish upon a star to get them? Like, do I need to go, you know, train my legs for fins and go swim through the ocean to find, like, where do you, like, I, I had no idea. Cause like, I, at that point I was working for a traditional publisher, but like I was in their IT department. So like, right. like, we had some designers who, you know, we had the web designers, which I knew what they did. I gave them projects. They work mm -hmm. in IT. And I am their IT project manager. But like the whole print design thing was like, like, you know, they were off in a mysterious cave in the mountains or they might as well have been. <laughs> we weren't even on the same floor of the building. So right. I had like no clue. So that first one, like I made it myself. I took some pictures at a Harley party, like the tree and the, and the like, and ornaments. And stuff. <laughs> like not thinking that maybe this could be problematic later. <laughs> um, no idea what I was doing <laughs> and I just sat down and like figure and, and did lots of googling and this was in 2016 so there was not a heck of a lot of like resources then right there was, now there's like all these publishing courses they're very expensive but like I didn't have that that wasn't an option for me right <laughs> I had no idea this existed and so uh yeah so I put this I put it together I did my absolute level best with it and I put it out there and like 11 people bought it and it was like and like I hadn't told anybody except they put a note on my blog telling people that I was doing this and um and what I did. And like 11 of those people went and just bought copies immediately. Like it went up and they bought the copies. It, it was like, oh, my goodness. Um, oh, gosh. <laughs> I was like, oh, God, I, it, it's I also bought myself a copy after that. I was like and I looked at it on my Kindle and I'm like, OK, it looks OK. And I did a, a print <laughs> version and it looked OK. It looked good. I mean, it looked it looked pretty good because like I, I had done like print formatting uh, for my first job out of college and arts council. We were laying I had to lay out the. Um, the newspaper insert that was okay. going into the Gannett, uh, I don't recall Gannett then, the journal news, they're part of Gannett. Um, I don't even know if they, they think they're still around. Uh, they're, they're this, they're what, they're big, they're the, they're the newspaper if you live in Westchester County, New York or Putnam or the Hudson Valley, like you get the journal okay. news. <laughs> that okay. is our paper. <laughs> or you get the New York Times. I mean. Or so you, you already sassy, had the the formatting experience you made up your own cover did you have it like edited at all before you put it out there yeah I asked a, um my uh a couple of relatives who were like to read it over it's like does it make sense to you like people okay. who like don't normally like read fantasy books or anything like mm -hmm. like figuring that like people who don't read this stuff like if they trip over it then like I need to do something something isn't right mm -hmm. Uh, and I, I also had written these Chris, this Christmas story in verse. I don't know why, like grief does strange things to the mind. I wrote that, <laughs> like, I wrote 200 and something, like, I wrote the whole thing in verse. It was not written as prose. <laughs> I have to do a prose re version of it because um, it was a really fun story. And it still gets, e even though it's in verse, it still gets a ton of traffic around Christmas. <laughs> that sounds At like. At some point, I need to, like, fix that. <laughs> that sounds really hard to do. <laughs> like. <laughs> It was just this wild, like they had to go save Christmas. And at some point they ended up way back in time with like baby Jesus. And like, I just took all the Christmas tropes and put some of my favorite fantasy characters at that from my blog that I had created and just put to, had them head off with Santa to save Jesus. <laughs> so you, you put this first book out there with what I'm guessing was not nothing up to snuff cover, but decent formatting and editing. 
and you magically sold copies. <laughs> yeah. How long did it take you to get the next one out? Yeah. You know what? I could probably check that because I published that in like, I, it was like, I, it was a few months later because uh, okay. I was mostly finished with, uh, and then I was trying, I, and then at that point, like for my first, my first actual book, which was in prose, not verse at all, which was Curse Break, original version of Curse Breaker Enchanted, I, um, I got uh, some family friends to read it. I was trying to get an editor, but all the quotes I got was for two or three thousand dollars. It's it's oh, one hundred sixty thousand words, and oh, okay. at that point, so uh, after so uh, before my sister passed away, I was out of work for two years because the financial market in I, I live in New York, very uh, like maybe an hour from outside of New York City. At okay. the time that the crash, I was working in New York City for a. Uh, in in the corporate offices of a uh, fashion retailer and mm-hmm. um basically like when the financial markets crashed uh, a lot of companies laid off people like the company that i work for laid off 30 percent. they called in about uh it was about 20 of us into an office and said you're all redundant pack your stuff you out oh gosh you can you can you can plan like so on the way so we're all like leaving and like we all had to leave together they wouldn't they put everybody else in the company in like another room and so like it was it was so awkward yeah i was like my god i'm like carrying my stuff through new york city uh like i was so traumatized like i didn't even think about like (laughs) you should get on a subway it's like january the wind is like howling through the canyons in new york i'm got all of my stuff and i'm like wandering around and at some point i'm like where am i where is grand central that's where i need to go to get out of this city and like um so yeah after that i i went i applied to over 100 jobs i went on like i don't know 20 or 30 interviews got hired by tiffany and co to work as their in their it department then got unhired because they took a their stock market their stocks went down so they had a hiring freeze that went into effect right before I was supposed to start. So I was oh, unhired. No. And so it took another, uh, that was in like around Christmas. And mm-hmm. uh, so it took another few months after that to get the job that I'm still at today. And um, so I was, so when I got these quotes back from the editors, like at that, like I, I was like, so I was so massively in debt because mm-hmm. um, like my sister and my brother were also like out of work at the same time because the financial markets crashed. The banks laid off lots of people. And that's what my brother, that's what my brother worked for. <laughs> he worked for Chase. Mm. <laughs> and Jeez. my sister worked as an accountant for construction. So that constructions weren't doing, doing. Not, there was no money for any of that. Yeah. So we were all out of work. And like my sister had just gotten out of college like a few years before that I had been out for a while and so I was like they can't help all of us with our bills um so because we were all living there I was planning to get you know I was looking at apartments and like because I had the job in the city and I was like oh I'm you know, making a good paycheck and I'm so mm-hmm. glad that I didn't go beyond thinking about that to actually right right because I had only been at that job for like a year and I was like maybe another year just to get filled up a little bit more money mm-hmm. so like we were all like living there and so i you know like they can't help all of us with, with our bills like you know they still have you know their own bills and stuff so i was like so i went like my i was up to like 10k in credit card debt by the time i got the job that i have now because i was like not gonna allow anybody to pay any of my bills i did not want to be a burden on my parents so mm-hmm. like i was you know hitting the credit card when i needed to go down to the city for interviews 
and you know needed to get a new interview suit or whatever because like if you're interview you're trying to get a job for two years like at some point you have to uh, you don't have a choice so you can't keep wearing the same suit and it's clearly not working you know <laughs> gosh you gotta put like, that elwood suit in the back of the closet and get a new you know one. <laughs> at one point i was like it's gotta be the clothes <laughs> you know um that's i can't i've redone the resume 85 <laughs> times i've redone the letter 85 times it's gotta be the damn suit it's not, it's not you know my off the rack from the the cheap uh the cheap store is not working we gotta get something a little bit nicer <laughs> I, when you're out of work for two years like you start getting crazy <laughs> yeah you know <laughs> Like you get all these like weird rituals. Like, well, if I get to the train station 20 minutes early this time, that, you know, that's my lucky charm. (laughs) If I get the seat on the train in the middle car by the whatever, like you get on these weird rituals. (laughs) Melinda liked The Little Mermaid growing up. But since we've already done this fairy tale, today we'll be reading another Hans Christian Andersen story. The Leapfrog. The Leapfrog. A flea, a grasshopper, and a leapfrog once wanted to see which could jump highest. And they invited the whole world, and everybody else besides, who chose to come to see the festival. Three famous jumpers were they, as everyone would say, when they all met together in the room. I will give my daughter to him who jumps highest, exclaimed the king, for it is not so amusing where there is no prize to jump for. The flea was the first to step forward. He had exquisite manners and bowed to the company on all sides, for he had noble blood and was moreover accustomed to the society of man alone, and that makes a great difference. Then came the grasshopper. He was considerably heavier, but he was well-mannered, and wore a green uniform, which he had by right of birth. He said, moreover, that he belonged to a very ancient Egyptian family, and that in the house where he then was, he was thought much of. The fact was, he had been just brought out of the fields and put in a pasteboard house, three stories high, all made of court cards, with a colored side inwards, and doors and windows cut out of the body of the Queen of Hearts. I sing so well, said he, that sixteen native grasshoppers who have chirped from infancy and yet got no house built of cards to live in, grew thinner than they were before for sheer vexation when they heard me. It was thus that the flea and the grasshopper gave an account of themselves, and thought they were quite good enough to marry a princess. The leapfrog said nothing, but people gave it as their opinion that he therefore thought the more, and when the house-dog sniffed at him with his nose, he confessed the leapfrog was of good family. The old counselor, who had had three orders given him to make him hold his tongue, asserted that the leapfrog was a prophet— for that one could see on his back if there would be a severe or mild winter. And that was what one could not see, even on the back of the man who writes the almanac. I say nothing, it is true, exclaimed the king, but I have my own opinion notwithstanding. Now the trial was to take place. The flea jumped so high that nobody could see where he went to. So they all asserted he had not jumped at all, and that was dishonorable. The grasshopper jumped only half as high but he leapt into the king's face, who said that was ill-mannered. Leapfrog stood still for a long time, lost in thought. It was believed at last he would not jump at all. I only hope he's not unwell, said the house dog, when pop, he made a jump all on one side into the lap of the princess, who was sitting on a little golden stool close by. Hereupon the king said, There is nothing above my daughter. 
Therefore, to bound up to her is the highest jump that can be made. But for this, one must possess understanding. And the leapfrog is shown that he is understanding, he is brave and intellectual. And so he won the princess. It's all the same to me, said the flea. She may have the old leapfrog for all I care. I jumped the highest, but in this world, merit seldom meets its reward. A fine exterior is what people look at nowadays. The flea then went into foreign service, where it is said he was killed. The grasshopper sat without on a green bank and reflected on worldly things, and he said too, Yes, a fine exterior is everything. A fine exterior is what people care about. And then he began chirping his peculiar melancholy song, from which we have taken this history, and which may very possibly be all untrue, although it does stand here printed in black and white. Thank you for joining Freya's Fairy Tales. Be sure to come back next week for the conclusion of Melinda's journey to holding her own fairy tale in her hands, and to hear another of her favorite fairy tales.